Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Hey, everybody. We are here with episode 221. And if you missed episode 220, John was telling us all about what it was like to get fired and the things that he did to prepare himself for what was next, process what had happened. And at the end of that episode, John, you said something about you did land a position, and that's what I want to hear about today. Tell us about how that came to be, and how did you decide? What are some of the things you did to to land the plane? The things, like I would say, to keep in mind is that, you know, when one's coming off of a shock like being informed that you're you're fired effectively, you know, there's a lot of processing to do. I think that I mentioned the first thing that happened to me was that I was, you know, maybe an advantage I had was that I was, you know, fairly emotionally even. I didn't have a massive emotional shock that it wasn't, I guess, how would I put it? It wasn't an existential crisis for me. So I was able to process the question, what's next, fairly quickly and easily. And the answer to that was really, I think, something that I went over. You know, I have a couple options. One is maybe get into management. So, you know, I've been a sales engineer for quite a while now. Is is managing a team of sales engineers something that I want to do, something that I think that I could be good at? I thought I can be good at it, so it's something that I should consider doing. And don't forget saying smart manager things. You have to learn how to do that. Maybe the first thing I need to do is create a document of generic manager responses that may or may not be helpful in this specific situation to the individual contributor. That That's something that uh, that needs to happen, right? Yes. <laughs> so that's one path, right, is potentially becoming a sales engineering manager. Um, another is expanding into a new or different area of technology, something different. Uh, something that is pushing my boundaries as far as adopting a new technology or, or getting interested in, in something, you know, brand new, um, but still maintain the same sales engineering role. For example, getting into a little bit deeper into analytics and business intelligence and, you know, maybe even machine learning and artificial intelligence. That, that might be one path. Maybe an expansion into different industries than I've been covering. Kind of doing the same thing, but being very industry specific. Maybe being a sales engineer for ERP solutions 
or healthcare solutions or something very industry specific. I think this is interesting and important to point out that you weren't trying to just quote, turn over a new leaf and go into a totally different thing you had never done. It's not like a 180 degree change and you're going to go and start a media company called Nerd Journey. <laughs> well, even that wouldn't be a 180 degree turn, right? Like I uh, already true. have invested the time and effort into to spending that up. But, you know, it's, it is something that I did consider. I was like, well, maybe Nerd Journey could be uh, like a completely different direction and, you know, brand new career. Could we turn this into a business? I would say that I probably discarded that early on just because we didn't get into it to become a business. So I don't know, the idea of monetizing something that we were giving away through, I don't know, add-on services, like a, a paid coaching service. I think that the, you know, that isn't really what I was, you know, had set myself up for. It, it was something that I thought, nah, you know, maybe not that. So I had examples of all of those options, right? I guess another option would be move to another hyperscaler like Amazon or, or Azure. You know, I considered all of those options. Um, fortunately for me, actually before the layoff even happened, I had a former manager reach out to me and ask if I was interested in applying for a sales engineering manager role in the Bay Area. So it would be staying in the same location, but, you know, taking a step into a management role. That was already in the forefront. It was a manager that I told, hey, you know, I'll, I'll always take a call from you. And it just heated up a little bit more, you know, when I was laid off from the position that I had. Obviously, I'm more interested when I don't have a job <laughs> than when I do. Of course. Now, had you, had you told this former manager of yours that you had a goal to maybe be a manager yourself one day, or d did they see it in you? Like, John, I think you have the capabilities to do this. I absolutely had mentioned it to her. Okay. Yeah. It was something that we had discussed uh, while I reported to her. It wasn't anything intensive uh, that I had prepared for, or we had, you know, in-depth career development discussions about while I worked for her, but it was something that I brought up. So, when she had that slot come up, that conversation that we had previously had, you know, surfaced and she thought, hmm, where is John now? Oh, he's still in the Bay Area. That This would work. So that that's the position at Nutanix that I applied for. You know, there's, there's some things that I had to consider when uh, coming to a company like Nutanix. You know, first of all, Nutanix, you know, kind of competes with VMware, which is a a company that I had worked for previously, and I still have, you know, great relationships with the people that I worked with at VMware, you know, that are in this, you know, specific geographic area that I'd be covering. You know, it's a little bit uncomfortable to think like, hey, we might be competing against each other, but that's something to consider where I'll have overlap with those people and, and will we be competing against each other and, and would that cause friction with personal relationships? I think that that wasn't something that I foresaw happening. You know, I still have, you know, really good relationships with the people that I work with, you know, and we touch base fairly frequently. And, you know, as soon as 
you know, I thought, hey, this is the direction I'm going to go. You know, I let them know. So they already knew that I was I was headed in that direction. You know, I think that it's always understood that, hey, you know, this might happen. And I think it would be different if I was a direct seller selling against those co- former colleagues. But in this situation, it, I was applying for a job, which was a sales engineering manager. Right. So I'd be assisting people who might be in that competition, but not being the one directly involved in the opportunity. So, you know, one step away. Another thing to keep in mind was that, you know, it was potentially a cut to the high end of the income that I was making. Well, first of all, I was working for a company that was paying at the the upper end of the pay band for individual contributors at Google Cloud. So almost any company that I was going to work for after that, you know, was potentially a pay cut. I remember Don Jones saying that a lower level manager makes more than an individual contributor just normally by default. Maybe a higher base salary, right? Very possible. That is the case. But then, you know, the variable portion of that manager's salary probably just isn't going to go as high, right? So in sales engineering, we are incentivized to help our sales partners sell more, but we are not the primary commissioned people on any account. So we participate a little bit if, you know, there's a successful sales cycle. What that tends to look like is, you know, maybe we make 70% or 75% of our salary as a base with 30 or 25% of that, you know, on target earnings, meaning if you hit the quota being variable. So if you have a high enough base, then you're fairly comfortable no matter what happens. But say you have a manager with a higher base pay than uh, an individual contributor. You know, if the individual contributor sells 300% of their quota, they're going to earn like three times their variable pay, right? So instead of, it would be say 70 plus three times 30, right? So 70 plus 90. So 160% of their total salary, you know, compared to the manager in that situation who has not just, you know, that one sales territories quota, but all of the other quotas added together. Or in my case, two different entire sales managers like pool of quotas. So call it, you know, somewhere between 10 to 12 people's quotas all added together. So if one person overachieves at 300%, you'd need everybody else to overachieve at that same level. So, you know, it's very possible for the individual contributors in that situation to be making more than the manager. Now, if they're all overachieving, then the manager is tend to going to be overachieving, right? But it's also something I think that Don Jones said, your success is out of your own hands. It is in the hands of the people who are on your team. And you don't know, I don't remember who said this, you don't know if any given day is a good day until maybe weeks or even months later. That was definitely Don Jones. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could also look at the compensation piece in terms of companies that may have some sort of measure by objective bonus structuring where the individual contributor can achieve a certain level and then the manager can achieve a certain level. So that makes sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah, that that might be the case for even if it's a management by objective, right? Um, If you have people who are reporting to you and maybe there's a management objective that says, oh, the individuals, like if they complete two of these trainings, then they 
they meet their target. And if they complete three of them, then they, you know, will call that 110% of like some kind of uh, additional bonus structure, right? But then the manager has the target for the entire team added together, right? So if it's 10 people, then they would need 20 trainings to be completed in order to be on target. And they wouldn't, you know, there's a sliding scale of, you know, additional people doing additional trainings above and beyond that. Right. It could be certifications or something. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah. So that's one aspect of it. I think there's a mixture of maturity uh, in the specific situation with different levels of levels of tenure for all of the salespeople and the sales managers. It wasn't two sales managers that had, you know, 10 years with a company who were, you know, consistently hitting 150%. So, you know, I wasn't walking into kind of a gimme situation. Like, you know, candidly, if that was a situation, like why would they need to fill the position? They would have presumably somebody who is high performing who wouldn't want to walk away from that position kind of already in the slot. Opportunity comes with a little bit of uncertainty. You know, and there's a flip side to that too, right? It's the opportunity to grow something. So, you know, helping a team mature and fill out and helping with strategy, helping them with execution. So, you know, all those things like kind of came together. I would say that the sales engineering team that would have been reporting to me in this this situation, like it was filled with, for the most part, tenured, high-performing individuals. So that was not a concern. And then, again, I happened to take this position. So over time, I got to learn, you know, just how high quality and and how high-performing they all were. It was just kind of an ideal situation with that part of it in mind. It it looked like there were, you know, high points, you know, some possible areas to grow, but ultimately it wasn't anything that, that ruled out the opportunity. I've had experience in the industry, you know, which was Nutanix's uh, primary solution area, uh, hyper-conversion infrastructure, which is, you know, the virtualization and storage virtualization all in a single appliance but not specifically with Nutanix. I had experience with VMware's uh, version of that. And then at Google Cloud, of course, compute and storage are abstracted you know, concepts. Just not directly with Nutanix. It, it just didn't seem to be that much of an issue. I felt you know, I could you know, spin up on it fairly quickly. And then, of course, the job of the sales engineering manager isn't to be the best technical person on the team. You know, I looked at the people that were on the team and I thought to myself, well, I'm always going to be in, you know, 10th place, say, you know, (laughs) because they all had a head start on me and my main goal wasn't to become the best, you know, technical person on the team. I was relying on them to be, you know, individually excellent and me to support them. Again, that didn't seem to be a barrier. Yeah, because it's not, it's not the super, super ninja deep technical person that should necessarily become the manager. It doesn't mean they couldn't be, but right. it's not required. Well, you know, there's a separate kind of semi-title to that, and that is the tech lead. So a team might have a tech lead, which is, you know, the person who's in charge of being that ultimate form of escalation on the team, the technical escalation on the team, if the team is having problems. And that's that's different from the manager, 
that's it's just a different job. So, you know, let me take a step back. Like I, I had, you know, this attitude of like, hey, there's no single perfect opportunity for me. You know, I have to be open to any number of positions at any number of companies. So I wanted to keep an open mind. Uh, you know, I applied for the sales engineering management position. I applied for, for several others. You know, I, I felt like there's any number of opportunities that I could do well at. It just so happened that Nutanix moved the fastest. Uh, I take that back. There was one company who got back to me and said, hey, you know, we have like probably better fits fairly quickly. And I went, yeah, that's true. I was kind of thinking that as well. Like it was a, you know, kind of a very different technology. So, you know, expansion into a new area of technology for me. And it wasn't something that I was necessarily extremely passionate about. Um, So I thought maybe it wasn't a good fit. Here's a question, John. Yeah. If you were to look at your applications on the whole, the jobs you applied for, do you feel like you ended up getting into more that were management focused, individual contributor focused, or was it just a mix of the two based on what was out there? I would say the of the jobs that I applied for, it was 25% sales engineering management and 75% sales engineering individual contributor. Okay. That's a good context point. Thank you. Yeah. It just depended on what was available and what was uh, open. And I also had kind of an open mind. I got aggressive. There were some interesting companies that didn't have open positions. And I went to LinkedIn and I found who was in charge of sales engineering at that organization. And I said, hey, do you have open positions? You know, are you looking for sales engineering leadership? Or if it was a smaller company, I said, are you looking for you know, high level sales engineers that you might want to eventually become uh, sales engineering managers as the company expanded and needed like a, a level of frontline management. You know, I had no, nothing to lose essentially, especially if it was interesting companies with interesting products and interesting industries. Sure. You know, and I, I got a couple of responses that way with companies that didn't have open positions, but still responded, you know, in a positive way. Yeah. Let us think about that. We're doing our planning right now, but this might be a really good fit. And let's have an informal conversation about that. Maybe you'll cover this later, but in the interviews you did that were individual contributor focused, where you progressed through some process, did you communicate an intent of, hey, I'd like to progress into management or was that not discussed? No, because that wasn't, I, I guess what I kind of thought about was, you know, this is, a chance for me to apply to different roles, but the roles that I was applying to, I wanted to be, you know, extremely interesting for their own sake. So all in. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the smaller companies, you know, where I was being aggressive and saying, Hey, you know, I don't actually necessarily see more than, you know, say three or four sales engineers and, you know, covering the entire world. I was a little bit more thinking you might be looking for for high level sales engineers who would eventually become sales engineering managers. And th- I opened the conversation that way, but I, I would never apply for a sales engineering position and tell them up front, actually, what I really want is a sales engineering management position. If, um, I would apply for a sales engineering management position if, if that's what, you know, I wanted. And if they had an interesting sales engineering position, then it needed to be interesting as a sales engineering position in its own right. And I think that that was part of me being 
open to multiple paths, right? I wasn't just saying, hey, you know, sales engineering management path is the one that I want and everything I'm going to do from now on is focused on achieving that. So any new position that I take is really just a step on the ladder to become a sales engineering manager. That was not the attitude that I had. The attitude I had was there's an opportunity to do many interesting things. I think I mentioned there were 3,500 open positions with sales engineer or systems engineer in the title that were in the sales, you know, sales part of the industry. So it just looked like there were tons of opportunities out there and I didn't need to worry. And there was, again, going back to what I said, there's no single perfect opportunity. There's a spectrum of opportunities covering us, you know, a bunch of different roles, maybe some of them hybrid, you know, somebody, you know, in an early stage startup might need a sales engineer who is also tech marketing and also a little bit of uh, pure sales too, right? So like, you know, there's a bunch of different things that could happen out there. I really like the openness. I feel like you're channeling Jason Langer because I remember him saying, yeah, if I was to go to my next opportunity, it was an individual contributor. That's totally fine. And if it was a manager, it's totally fine. Maybe part of that comes from the specific jobs and industry that we happen to be in, in terms of sales engineering, you know, where a high performing sales engineer might be out earning the manager that they work for. You know, it's very, very possible. You know, like I said, the specific, you know, situation where the, the sales engineer individual contributor, it helps their salesperson to 300% of quota. That doesn't mean that the sales engineering manager is hitting 300% of quota because they're carrying the quota of the entire um, sales uh, subregion or region. It moves the needle, but it, you, you can out earn a manager, right? So it wasn't about, hey, I need to become a manager because I want to earn more money. It might mean earning less money. Yeah, I didn't feel like management was, it was a requirement. You know, it was just interesting. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that was fantastic. I, I love to hear about the, the why and what went through your head about it. Appreciate it. Yeah. So it ended up that Nutanix moved the fastest, you know, advancing me to a round of interviews and kind of finalizing that and expressing strong interest, talking more and more about like what the match would be like, why they liked me, what the challenges of the position were, um, what the upsides of the opportunity were in very candid terms very, very quickly, really before any of the other opportunities that I was talking to got, you know, past like initial screening stages or, you know, maybe one interview, you know, before any of them really could progress, I had an offer in hand. Uh, Any of the other opportunities progressed, I had an offer in hand and it, you know, looked good and, and that's the direction I went in. But maybe I should back up and say what that actual interview process looked like because, you know, I, I borrowed fairly heavily from some of the people that we've interviewed about, you know, what it looks like to interview for a management position. You know, I did some research. I knew I had strengths and weaknesses going into it. You know, I think you're the king of talking about adjacencies, Nick. And so that was something that I thought about a lot was the adjacencies that I had for the sales engineering management position. At Google Cloud, I had been asked to do a lot of interviewing. So I'd probably done somewhere in the neighborhood of 20, 30, less than 50 interviews, but probably more than 20. 
and you've done a few others on the air over the past <laughs> four or five years. That's true. That's true. Although I would say that interviewing to probe for technical skills and sales skills is a very specific type of interview, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you're, you're absolutely, you know, I, I shouldn't discount the fact that doing these, um, podcast episodes and interviewing guests and trying to, to tease out stories and, and understand what's going on. That is part of it. You're, you're absolutely correct. And it's not something that I really thought about going into it. And I should have. Uh, so I d- did not say, Hey, you know, I have podcast interviewing experience. Um, it's all good, man. When you're the kind of lead sales engineer, you are sometimes in charge of holding a team of extended technical professionals accountable on an opportunity. If you have several overlays all working in tandem, maybe a product manager who's, you know, talking about roadmap and then maybe a, uh, you know, somebody from tech marketing who's, you know, doing like a one to many, uh, session for, for a large group at a single company. You're coordinating a lot of resources and, and you need accountability from that extended team. So it's something that I had done before, um, without role power, right? All I had was relationship power in those situations. So, you know, it's, it's an experience I had of asking for things and, relying on the relationship to get it done rather than having the title of manager of that person in order to get it done. Yeah. John's calm about it now, but I mean, he would drop the hammer on these people totally and do what he asked. <laughs> well, it's tough to drop the hammer when you're trying to preserve the relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's true. Being a manager too, when the person reports to you, I mean, I suppose there's, you know, screaming managers who are willing to sacrifice the relationship you know, between the two people to underline the importance of something, but that's just, that sounds like a failed relationship already. <laughs> sounds like an anger management problem. That's what yeah, that very like. possibly that too. At Google Cloud, I'd done peer review, peer reviews, and that was a very important part of being an individual contributor was to help assess the peers that you had and do that in an open and honest way, not just all the good things that they're doing, but the the areas that people have to grow into as well. You know, things that they can do to become even better at what they're doing, to, to point those out so they have an opportunity to grow. I'd also managed an out-of-college SE on her first assignment. So I was basically the, the frontline manager, acted as the frontline manager for that individual and had to do a a performance review at the end of the engagement and, and help her grow from, you know, all theory to an actual experience on the ground SE. And then I had a bunch of mentorship activity, right? Where I'd tried to mentor people and help them grow and, and give advice, you know, career based, um, company based and, uh, and, and all those things kind of rolled up to be my adjacencies. When I applied to other positions, I had a different list of adjacencies. You know, maybe I hadn't used or sold their product directly, but I had sold or used products similar or adjacent to, you know, those products. Oh, for example, Google Cloud had a data warehouse product called BigQuery, and I was applying for a sales engineering management position at Snowflake, which was basically a, a competitor but also a company that ran on top of Google Cloud. So did I have 
Snowflake experience? No, but I had BigQuery experience. I knew all the use cases and had, again, adjacencies, not the, the direct product. So then, you know, I had to examine the weaknesses that I had, you know, maybe areas where really here's the areas that I would absolutely need to grow into a sales engineering management position. Lack of experience, you know, doing that actual exact job. I didn't have any experience at firing somebody or managing them out of the position or out of the company, helping them to understand that maybe this was a bad match for them. You know, it's not something that I'd ever done before. I hadn't been a hiring manager, although I had conducted interviews. There's a difference between being on the interviewing team or, or one of the people who's responsible for conducting an interview with a candidate and being the person who's ultimately responsible for making the call and saying, I think that we should hire this person and not these other two. Are you making a recommendation as part of that interview team? Like if you interview five different people for the same job, do you say, hey, I actually think this person is the best candidate in the pool? Or or might you not actually meet with everyone in the pool? Other companies might do it that way, but Google Cloud did not. At Google Cloud, it was an extended pool, right? We're, um, the attitude was we're looking for any number of people who might be qualified to fill this title. And maybe they are able to fill it at different levels. Like here's a person who would be able to fill the, a senior version of that title. Here's a person who would be able to fill a standard version of that title. Here's a person who would be able to fill the junior version, version of that title. But really you're trying to evaluate whether there is a good fit between that person and this position. That's kind of how it was. Generally, the problem was, you know, that Google had super high standards and maybe people didn't understand how to interview, do the type of interview that Google was looking at, which was, you know, fairly data intensive. And as a result, not a whole lot of people were passing through. So they wanted the maximum number of people possible to pass through the process honestly and successfully, right? Because maybe they were hiring, they had 10 open slots, but generally when they ran a hiring you know, cycle, they could, only f they could only find six people who were qualified. So they kind of had to hold the slots open and continuously have people cycling through because they, you know, slots were opening up faster than they were able to find qualified candidates. And then they fired 12,000 people. So I, I, you know, I don't know how those two things like go together, but <laughs> they did. Yeah. I heard that impacted some folks. <laughs> right. <laughs> At any rate, that's kind of how I viewed my lack of experience, the, the things that the challenges that I would have in the areas I would have to grow into a position. And I, I did that for, you know, again, all the positions that I was applying for. Um, if it was a, an Azure cloud sales engineering position, you know, I would have a lot of growing to do as far as the specific product mix that Azure had because they didn't have the exact same products that Google Cloud had, they had their own versions and, and different focuses from Google Cloud. Again, just where I would have to grow for any given position that I was applying for. And then... I would say the next thing was, how would I succeed? At that point, when I was evaluating how would I, 
what do I have to do to succeed at this position? I was, you know, more narrowly focused on Nutanix's sales engineering management position because that's where I was. It was the kind of advanced interview process and, and nobody else had advanced me to that process yet. So, you know, I borrowed the manager tools kind of guidance on a 30, 60, 90 day plan. In order to succeed, I'm going to have to watch and learn for 30 days. Like there's just things that I don't have context on in any given job. You know, if I'm going to make tweaks and small changes that probably, you know, I probably need to do that after the 30 day mark, right? I just don't have enough context to know why things are a certain way. Um, if I'm going to make larger changes, I need to have as much context as possible. And I probably shouldn't do that until after the, the 60 day mark, you know, into the 90 day area. And even then, you know, be conservative and don't try to change a bunch of things all at once. You know, it's really important to know why things are the way they are. And 30 to 90 days is maybe, you know, even fairly aggressive to think that you have enough context to know why things are the way they are and what needs to change. You know, that was pretty important to, to keep in mind. And it was kind of similar for an individual contributor roles too, right? There's probably in the first 30 days, a lot of spin up that needs to be done on the specific technology and the specific company. And then, you know, in the 30 to 60 day time frame, you need to get, you know, a little bit more into, Hey, how am I going to work with the, this, the specific opportunities of specific sales territory, the specific salesperson that I'm mashed up with. And, you know, that 60 to 90 day, now I'm planning for more long-term success. You know, how am I, how am I going to exceed and outperform. And surprise, surprise, all of those topics came up. (laughs) Those topics came up, you know, talking to the hiring manager. I talked to both sales managers that I'd be covering. I talked to the VP of sales. I talked to other sales engineering managers, uh, at least one sales engineering manager who would be a peer of mine. And then the VP of sales engineers who my director reported to like, those are all stops along the way and points in time where I was talking to people um, about my strengths and my weaknesses, you know, where I had a lot of experience and in, in where I had areas to grow and, and how I planned to address those areas to grow. And how did they take the adjacent experience Did they, did they feel like that was a solid, Oh yeah, that's about the same or that's not the same or, I think so, because I wasn't saying I've done this, which, and it's the exact same thing. You know, when you talk about adjacent experience, you can't say, oh, I've done this thing and it is exactly the same as what I would be doing. You have to say, I've done this thing and it shares some overlap with the thing that you're talking about. So I haven't done that exactly, but I've done this thing, which is like it. I think the classic example, which you have pointed out to me is, you know, when you're in a help desk position or support position as a, you know, technical point of escalation, and somebody's trying to tell you that this is what they want done. I want my entire system replaced. And you have to sell them on the idea that no, there is a, an evaluation that needs to happen and maybe even a better solution that's less disruptive than replacing the entire system that might get them a better result. Is that the exact same thing as selling a product for money. It is not, but it, it it has a lot of overlap and shares a lot of skills with that sales, technical sales process. 
gaining the, the person's trust, understanding what the root problem is, you know, seeing whether the portfolio of solutions that you have can solve that problem. And can you do it in a maybe even better than what the person thinks that they need? So again, is it exactly the same? No, but it is like it. It is adjacent to it and there's overlap. And they accepted that, right? They knew that I would be a first time manager. I wasn't hiding that. You know, in fact, it was one of the things that I was asking them about. Hey, you know, what is the situation where you think it, it makes sense to have a first time manager? And, you know, when is it a challenge? When would you never hire a first time manager? Is this one of those situations? <laughs> it probably wasn't because you're already talking to me, but, you know, it's something that I wanted to know. That's a great question to ask a hiring team. I never thought about that one. Yeah. I mean, there's certain profiles that you're probably ruling out. Here's the profile that I fit into. And what situations would you think would disqualify that profile? Because not about me personally, but here's where I am in my career. Here's the, the move that I'm trying to make. There's probably five of me out there. What would cause you to rule out this this profile or not consider this type of person, this category of person? Because that helps you understand, you know, the situation that you'd be going into, right? You know, maybe an answer to that would be, oh, I probably wouldn't hire a first-time SE manager if the people that that SE manager had to cover were very early first-time sales managers. It probably makes sense to have a mix of experience and new. And that's understandable. So I, I actually had other questions, right? I think some of my standard questions, which I've talked about before, like what's the culture? I'm looking for a situation where I'd be working with really smart people who are smart in different ways than I am, who have different experiences and different backgrounds than mine, so they can cover for my blind spots and I can cover for theirs. And I'm also looking for a good culture, you know, where growth is emphasized and mistakes are tolerated because, you know, there's always going to be mistakes, right? Can you have a, a, a blameless system where everybody grows based on everybody else's mistakes? What are the people on the team like? You know, what are their personalities like? So talking to those uh, sales managers is, is pretty important. Are we going to have a personality fit or are we going to be clashing all the time? And it, it doesn't need to be perfect because nobody's ever, you know, a perfect meshing fit, you know, but can we partner together? Would that make sense? What is, what is the path to success for this role? What's the baseline? Where is it starting? And then what are the actions that need to happen in order to, to get success, you know, in broad strokes? And then a specific question that I had was kind of one, at least for the Nutanix opportunity was, you know, Hey, this is, business that is um, selling an infrastructure solution, how does the business become more of a strategic vendor and not just one selling infrastructure? Is there a plan to go up the stack? And, and actually, I'd answered that question ahead of time, you know, for myself, I had Kubernetes solutions and database management solutions. So going up the stack and becoming more of a, a platform company was, was definitely in the cards. So I thought that was a good sign. But I wanted to hear about maybe the, the things that weren't on the website, <laughs> you know, because I can do the research. But, you know, maybe these people can tell me, oh, yeah, that's actually, you know, not a real solution or, yeah, nobody's using that. So, you know, it's severely lacking. You know, those would have been red flags that I, if I'd heard that, I would have said, hmm, 
maybe this isn't the right solution, right? But I didn't hear that. Like that, that's not what the response was. <laughs> it sounds like you had some really good questions for the hiring teams. I think that's a great way to model for our listeners the importance of making sure you ask questions. Whether you're the only applicant or you're one of a thousand applicants, bring some questions. Bring some questions that help you determine if it's the right thing. Yeah. And I will say, you know, I was in a privileged position and I always want to acknowledge that I had the privilege of being um, financially secure because of my planning. I, I had, you know, probably over a year of savings that I could ride out without making compromises in my lifestyle. I, I guess when I say that, you know, making house payments and car payments, right? I, and as well as putting food on the table and, and paying for health insurance probably would cut out vacations. <laughs> you know, all the luxury yacht rentals that I was doing probably would have had to have uh, gone by the wayside. That's a joke, by the way, just, just to be clear. No, no luxury yacht rentals for John. That's good to know. You're not that fancy. <laughs> right. Ultimately, I, I was in that privileged position, so I could make sure that this position, which I would be a first-time manager in, was something that I felt like it was within my control to execute and be successful in. That's what I wanted, right? It would be a, a situation where if I did the right things, if I, you know, applied myself, I could be successful. And, and that's what I, I felt like it was my job to figure out if that were true or not. And I felt like it, it was that position. And so when the offer was on the table, we talked about, you know, compensation package and benefits and, and all of those things. And, you know, I came to a position where I was like, yeah, this is going to be a good fit for me, you know, all things considered. So I accepted the position. And, you know, as of this date, I think I just finished week seven, rolling into week eight and, uh, have yet to make any large changes, then maybe we should stop here unless you have additional like follow-ups uh, for me. I feel like I've been monologuing. What was the most off-the-wall question you asked somebody in the interview process that they didn't expect? Hmm. I wanted to know how important um, swing dancing was to them <laughs> as, a, as a skill. As part of a diversity and inclusion initiative? Was there a swing dancing team... <laughs> is there an internal swing dancing support group or, or right. meetup group? Yeah. No. That's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't okay. I didn't ask that. Uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't think so. I don't think that I I I didn't feel like I asked anything off the wall. I felt like most of my questions were pretty down the middle, but I asked them in multiple ways to make sure that I was getting an answer that made sense. Like that was, I was hearing the same answer in you know, multiple ways, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I love the triangulation, John. And I would really love to hear your impressions of being a first time manager so far, but wait, before you answer, let's don't do that today. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White, 
at BJourneyman. For Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios.